Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast. Each week, your host, Casey Haston, Director of Recruiting at VIP, will bring you valuable insights from thought leaders, introduce you to incredible companies, and bring you tips for landing your dream job from our team of executive recruiters at VIP. And now, Casey Haston. Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast, a podcast devoted to adding value to your career or candidate search, brought to you by VIP. I'm your host, Casey Haston, Director of Recruiting with VIP, Executive Recruiter. I still run a full desk, and you're all around hiring guru. And you know it is my goal to bring you just exceptional guests every week that are going to help you in one way or another. So today's no different. So let me go ahead and introduce our guest for today. So with me today, I have Michael Seaver. Um, he's an award-winning executive coach, author, keynote speaker, and podcast host, which I just found that out today. Um, but Michael's mission is to unlock human potential and crash through conventional boundaries. And today he joins us to talk about, to share his no-nonsense strategies to help people and commonalities across generations working together today, improving communication and overall teamwork. And Michael, welcome. Thank you so much, Casey, for having me. I appreciate you. Uh, well, this is just awesome. I mean, I feel like the universe just went plop. Here's Michael, you know. <laughs> I mean, usually when it's I, meant to be, it's meant to be. Exactly. And so I always like to tell my guests because I think it's so important and it's such a, a needed function of job seeking is networking, right? And connections. So I always like to tell our guests how I got connected or tell our audience how I got connected with our guest. Now, this is a really interesting story. So do you want to share or do you want me to? No, please go ahead. So I thought it was interesting because um, Shelly, uh, I cannot remember her last name. I'm sorry, but is it Shelly or Sherry? Sherry. Sherry. Okay. Shelly's another person, another media person that's working with another group that I'm working with. Okay. So Sherry had actually sent an email to our landing page and it went to my junk mail. And I was like, and so, and then finally I went back and I go through my junk mail every now and then because there, I, some stuff does go there, you know, that you might need to see. And I looked at this and I sent it to Marissa who helps us coordinate all this stuff and keeps us moving forward. And I was like, is this for real? Cause I was afraid it was spam, you know? Right. <laughs> and I started looking and I was like, Marissa, this guy's really good. <laughs> and he just came to us and she's like, I know, let's get him to talk about this. So oh, right that's. On. That's how we ended up with you, but you almost didn't get here. We would have been persistent and made it happen somehow. I think so, too. I think we were definitely meant to meet, and it's so interesting. It's just, I tell people it's a small world after all, right? And um, it just had a sw small world moment today. But mm -hmm. even, like, you and I have some mutual connections, and I'm like, do you really know this person? Or are you just, like, fake connecting with them on LinkedIn, you know? <laughs> <laughs> So I think that's so interesting. And so the only thing I'm going to say about that, people, is be nice to everybody you meet because you never know when they're going to show back up in your life. I am not even kidding. Okay? So be nice. I echo that sentiment a hundred times. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so I know we've got a really interesting topic that we're going to talk about today, and I'd love to just dive right in if you're ready. Of course. Okay. And you talk about a lot of stuff, but today we're really going to focus on the cross Cross-generational communication. Did I say that right? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, absolutely. 
So you've spent a lot of time studying on this, and um, you know, why do you think coworkers of different ages or age groups tend to have that divergent thinking and you know communication preferences? I mean, we talk about millennials sure. all the time. So enlighten us. Yeah, I'll, I'll, the I think it comes down to some of those really formative experiences that we have in our younger years. And so my belief is that all persons have a distinct curriculum, a unique journey, an authentic way that they show up in the world. But I think that those things get formed for us pretty early on. And so in uh, it, sometimes when I'm giving presentations, I talk about a guy named Dr. Bruce Lipton and the research that he does into brainwave states and the things that happen uh, in brainwave states from birth until age six. So I won't go into it right now for uh, time purposes, but we learn an awful lot subconsciously from birth until age six that we unknowingly unconsciously repeat the years after age six. So the things that we learn when we're re really young do impact our different thinking or communication patterns. I also attribute a lot of the way that we see the world to how we interact with our parents when we're young or when we're in our teenage years, right? So our parents and our relationship with them is a big factor, I think. And then I think as time passes or progresses, the, the media that we consume, television, podcast, some sort of a YouTube video, the things that we read in a magazine or a newspaper, those things really have a subconscious subliminal effect on our choices and how we perceive other people around us. So when we take those things into consideration, right, we're covering from birth to those younger years and those teenage years and then kind of throughout life. So the things that we're hearing recurrently ultimately shape our perspective. And we have to take those things into consideration when we're thinking about how we're going to interact and show up as we talk to a person who's really radically different than us. You know, that's so interesting. And as a coach, I'm sure that you understand where this question is coming from. But I mean, that's also where a lot of our limiting beliefs come from and assumptions and interpretations and all that stuff that really can hold us back that doesn't need to. I completely agree. And it is really hard that our society seems to tend a little bit more towards negativity as opposed to optimism. And so when we when we think about our interactions with other people or with a leader or a boss or possibly somebody who's interviewing us for a role, we automatically come in with a sense of fear and uh, trying to build up to a certain level as opposed to just thinking more pragmatically or more optimistically about possibility. So we have to figure out a way in society to raise consciousness just a little bit so we're all starting from a place of hope and possibility as opposed to a place of oh gosh, what's going to happen next? You know, I'm going to go totally off script here for just one second. I'm allowed to do that, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but the one thing that I think is so interesting about what you just said is about raising the consciousness, right? And um, I am very proud to say I just finished coaching school. Yay! Just waiting for that Congratulations, last. yes. I know. I just submitted my final evaluation for certification. So, I, and I know I'm a coach without it, but I sure do want that piece of paper. You know, <laughs> it was a long time. But it was such a transformation in learning like, and I can give you a real quick example too. And even this kind of plays into what we're talking about today is that even how I answer email has changed. Wow. So I work on a sales team and instead of immediately interpreting something as bad or catabolic or, you know, in that area and sparking a war, which old Casey would have done because by God, you're not going to mess with me. Right. <laughs> I really looked at it through the lenses of consciousness and responding from the place that I chose to and 
completely different reaction. And I was still satisfied, you yeah. know, and no yeah, war, well no war. <laughs> <laughs> I think we, we have to remember that all persons around us are going through something that we have no idea about. And when you just offer everybody around you the benefit of the doubt and realize that you don't know 99.99% of what's happening in their life, you take a quick step back and realize you can come from a place of balance as opposed to having to be right or prove someone else wrong. Oh, you are so speaking my language. I love that. So, okay, I'll go back to script. So tell me a little bit, what are some of the biggest myths about a multi-generational workplace? That's six or seven hours of time together, Casey, but I'll hit a couple of high points. Um, <laughs> You know, this our society seems to be uh, a little bit anchored in divisiveness or one generation calling the other something. And I'm not saying that the the biases and things like that don't exist because they're real, right? They're they're certainly there. We see them in the media, we see them in day-to-day -day interactions. But I've seen a number around thinking that the younger generation is younger generations are going to perform more effectively or better than an, a more experienced person. I genuinely just don't believe that to be true, but there are some people who do believe that. I've also seen this myth that uh, certain organizations cannot afford a baby boomer because of where they're at, you know, in their life and their experiences. Possibly true, maybe not. You know, baby boomers are uh, less likely to leave an organization quite as quickly. So their, their tenure with the firm is probably going to be just a little bit longer than maybe somebody who's from a different generation. Uh, I've also seen some material around that if a baby boomer, maybe Gen X or possibly a traditionalist is avoiding retirement, that that person is, quote unquote, stealing a job from a younger person. And again, just don't necessarily believe it to be true, but an another one of those myths that is out there. Um, I've read one that said that anybody from Generation X is not prepared to lead large groups of people, which is, uh, you know, kind of bizarre and silly, but it's out there. I'm not and, to take that personally. <laughs> <laughs> but when you think about Justin Trudeau in Canada or Emmanuel Macron in, in France, there are Gen X leaders that are leading entire nations and countries across the world, right? So that's, it's not a true myth. It's just one that seems to be out there. The one that I hear the most, maybe you do too, Casey, is this idea that somebody from Generation Y or somebody from Generation Z, that they're addicted tech, to technology or they're lazy, entitled, or selfish. I'm sure you've heard that too. Absolutely. Yeah. And th there's a lot of reasons why I think that that happens. It's just not true. But at the end of the day, what I want people to think about when they think about these myths is that we are far more similar than we are dissimilar, right? And that's my work is to say, hey, some of these myths exist in the marketplace, but there's actually some research and some data to show that they're not true. Let's change the narrative and raise consciousness in a meaningful way and start talking about the things we have in common, not the things we don't. I, I think that's beautiful. And I do want to kind of touch on, especially the millennials and talking about they're more likely to leave a job than a baby boomer might be. And I can tell you as a recruiter, I have absolutely seen that trend. So, you know, used to, and I'm just going to give you a little secret about recruiting. If somebody had a job every year or even every two years, I'm not going to call them because they're what we call hoppy, right? And yep. it's very hard to get a company to hire through a recruiting agency for somebody that might leave in a year, right? It's not worth the investment sure. to them. And so, but having heard a lot of these conversations, you know, I know that if a company can, has a purpose, they have a why, the millennials will stay. 
because that's mm-hmm. what they're looking for. They have to believe in the company they're working for. Yeah, I agree. And thank you for sharing that. It's what the thing that really cemented this for me was I took Maslow's hierarchy of needs and then I equated the different generations in the workplace today to that. And, and it seems like an odd marriage, but it's an important one because it hopefully reinforces your point that you just made, which is when you start to climb the five levels of Maslow's hierarchy, once you get to the top, it's all about self-actualization, right? It's all about learning. It's all about receiving mentorship. It's wanting to advance one's life. So because the traditionalists and the baby boomers and Gen X did such a good job of advancing the American economy from the early 1900s until now, those base needs that they had to work through at their respective time in human history doesn't need to be met by the millennials, right? They're already cared for and provided. So they're always going to be fighting for self-actualization because that's where they're at on the, on the hierarchy. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. That's such a great way to describe it. And that, I mean, I don't, I had like this, I was like, oh, that makes perfect (laughs) sense. So that was great. Thank you. Um, Of course. So I think it's really important for business leaders to encourage cross-generational conversations by hiring people from different age groups. So what are the benefits to a company or what are benefits that a company can reap from doing so in hiring these different age groups? There, uh, I think there are many, and I, I'll give a kind of an overarching statement first. But when I think about our world, and it's going from this kind of centralized hierarchical model of governance and, and bureaucracy within organizations and, and religions and governments, all this stuff, we're moving to a place that's much more decentralized. And so there's actually significant power in having people on your team that are more diverse from their behavioral communication preferences to their core values, to what motivates them, to their life's experiences, because they can provide more meaningful information and interconnectivity to what the customer really wants in real time, right? So we wanna make sure that we have a really diverse workforce who can connect easily emotionally to our customer base because they can get us more information faster, right? That's important as as a blanket statement. But when we think about each of the respective generations, right, that do exist, baby boomers love to work for a place where they can form meaningful long-term relationships, right? So if you want to continue some sort of a culture, make sure that there are baby boomers that can help you form the relationships. Baby boomers are naturally really results-driven. So they can help you make sure that the right systems and things are set up inside your organization to get results. Baby boomers are sometimes known as being workaholics. So if you need to get a really important project done, they're going to be there for you, right? They tend to like a more formal workplace. And so if you're trying to design some sort of an organizational culture, having some baby boomers on the team is important because they help to create that sense of place and formality. I see baby boomers as being pretty service oriented. They're kind of a little bit uh, old school in that they like the command and control leadership style, but in some organization that works really, really well. And baby boomers tend to like to learn more formally. So having ways to be able to um, create opportunities for them to learn formally, but bringing those things into the workplace, those can be really big benefits for your culture or for interaction with some of your clients or interaction with other people on the team. So Gen X is a little bit different from baby boomers, right? Gen X, they like tasks, they still wanna get results, but instead of being Workaholics, Gen X is a little bit more project oriented. So find ways to be able to put them on projects that are meant to have a shorter duration time. 
they're great at finding work-life balance. You know, in America, they were the first cohort of people that really understood becoming entrepreneurial, right? So they want that, right? They want to find that. They like a little bit more of a casual workplace. So if you want to create that as your atmosphere, having a few more Gen Xers on the team could help to do that. They tend to be uh, really great at coordinating things and groups of people. So if you need to coalesce a cross matrix team of something, they're going to be great to help with that. And they tend to learn via smaller groups. And so if you need them to provide a training or coaching or mentorship in small groups, they're going to be fantastic. And I'll mention millennials here real quick is millennials, right? When we think about bringing them onto the team, obviously lots of stuff in the media that's not necessarily overly positive, but they do think really globally. They do have a capacity to be strong networkers and to build a strong network. They're great at the gig economy, so you can move them around from place to place to place because they genuinely like learning that way. Um, they're okay with working from anywhere and almost any time. So if you need a flexible workforce, they're great in that way. They're great at collaboration. They're highly educated, but they really like working with an empowering leader or having that coach or mentor as their leader. So each of the respective generations in the workplace has something that can really benefit your organization. It's just you being really clear on what you're trying to create in a two, three, four, or five-year plan and how each of those respective groups can fit into it. That's really interesting to hear it from that perspective. And I was just sitting there as you were talking, dissecting my team. And I'm probably <laughs> one of the, I'm not, I don't even want to say it, but I'm probably the oldest person in the office almost, <laughs> So, which is unusual on a sales team, right? Sales team, you usually see the younger people and stuff like that, but we do have all those, sure. you know, different, um, different generations that are working together and it's a little bit more diverse than other sales teams that I've seen. And it seems sure. to work really, really well because we do. And it is, I told somebody today, I said, I feel like I'm the mother hen around here. You know, I'm always like, <laughs> don't say that, you know, <laughs> but you happen to have a gift that many people on the team need, right? Which is your capacity to coach and uplift. Yes. Right. And so that's one of the things that I had learned quite some time ago. There's a great book by a woman named Jennifer J. Deal. And the book is called Retiring the Generation Gap. And it's a book about 10 principles by which all humans, regardless of generation or you're from or where you're at on the planet, there are 10 principles that all humans want. Right. So we all want to be trusted or we all want to be respected or we all don't like change, which is true. But the reason I bring the book up to support you, Casey, is that um, what Jennifer found in her research was is that every single person wanted a coach, right? So regardless of generation, everybody wants a coach. So people like you and I get to step in and be there for other people and uplift them when they need it. And, and I'm going to add even more to that. I think everyone needs a coach, not just sure. once. They yeah. need a coach, right? I just, it's, right. I cannot say that enough. It has just been so transformational for me to go through and be coached, you know, by other people just, and I'm like, today I'm nothing like what I was a year ago because sure. of all the coaching. Yeah. I love oh, it. It's huge. I agree. So let's talk a little bit about how the different age groups prefer to communicate with each other and what does the middle ground look like for them? Sure. So I think that the baby boomers, right, those folks born between 1946 and roughly 1964, because of the time in human history they were born or because of what was happening in society at that particular time, you're going to find them gravitating towards wanting to be communicated to in a more diplomatic fashion. 
they tend to want to be communicated to in person, right? So they prefer in, communi in person communication. They, it's not that they're opposed to being directed, but they like to have options when it comes to choices. So giving them options is important. Getting their consensus before you make some sort of an organizational adjustment or change is important. And they tend a little bit more towards liking public recognition or things that they can have up on their wall so other people can see it. So if we're gonna recognize them, let's make sure that it, it helps them in something meaningful. So Generation X, those people who were basically 65 to 1980, born between 1965 and 1980, they prefer a little bit more of a direct communication. So you can be a little bit more uh, stern or honest or constructive with them. They, because of time in human history, they tend to prefer to communicate with email, right? So you see them using email a bit more than the baby boomers. They want more information than the baby boomers did. And they wanna see basically like, what's the connection between this action and activity I'm going to do and the end result? So we can communicate to them well by showing the connection between their behavior and what the, the result actually is, because they're the first generation of with them, like what's in it for me, right? They genuinely want to know repeatedly what's, what's in it for them. So what, like a baby boomer genuinely wants to be rewarded with public recognition, but a Gen X wants to be rewarded with freedom of time, right? To be able to distribute their time wherever they want to. And they're kind of the first generation that really started to think about coaching and mentoring as being important for their for their development. Now, the last group, the millennials, they, because of, again, because of the time in human history they were born, because of uh, the events of September 11th back in 2001, or the Oklahoma City bombing, or the advent of social media, the millennials are the most anxious cohort in American history. Like, they feel anxiety at levels that previous generations just never have. So we have to communicate with them and a little bit more politely. We have to give them a little bit more support and treat communication with them like it's motivational, right? Like really supportive. Um, they're okay with texting and email because they like to multitask and do other things in addition to their work. Um, what I try to do with a millennial is try to help them visualize some future. So if I'm communicating with them, I try to paint a mental picture for them, what life could be like. And when it comes to recognition, they don't, necessarily want the recognition all for themselves, they prefer to accomplish goals with teams or within teams. So each generation, right, wants to be communicated to uh, transparently and openly and to receive appreciation and recognition, but the way that they receive those things is just a little bit different. So you said something really interesting about the millennials, for me anyway, in that because, you know, you often hear millennials being described as fragile and you see them saying, I need my safe space, you know, and that kind of thing. But that really makes sense. I hadn't even thought about those events that, you know, they grew up with. And, and my son was, gosh, probably kindergarten or so when that happened. And now sure. I'm thinking, huh, maybe I wasn't the one that damaged him. <laughs> <laughs> That would be a true statement. So you can give yourself a pass on that. It, so this is the thing about folks born between 1980 and 1995, 1996, right? The millennials is, is that as they started to come of age, they were the first cohort in American history where war was actually possible on their home soil. And so they had to fear going to the grocery store, going into the schoolroom you know, going out in public. That didn't exist for the generations that came before the traditionalists or the baby boomers or Gen X because war was always in some other country. But for the first time, mainly in the last 200 years prior to the, you know, since the country was formed, 
like terror was possible in someone's backyard. And so that really shaped the millennials and their, their nervousness or anxiety or worry. Uh, and they had no control over that, right? That was not something that they did. They just had to exist in that world. Interesting. I would, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you brought that point up. So how do you recommend different age groups find commonality within the workplace? This is something that I that I love to talk about, and I could give you millions of examples. I've got a couple of YouTube videos up about it if anybody is interested in watching them. Yeah, make um, sure we have that information. One, we'll put it in the show show notes. Okay. Yeah, of course. Thank you. The, the first thing is is that I um, Edelman is a really big PR firm internationally, and what they found is that as time has been passing and progressing, um, we as a society, regardless of generation, we are trusting boards of directors and CEOs and government officials and media people less than we are trusting a person, quote unquote, like ourselves. So as a society, regardless of generation you're from, you are trusting the centralized hierarchical structures less and you're trusting people who are like you more, okay? So we can find commonality through trying to figure out what is it about one of our colleagues that we have in common, anything from a hobby to something that we're interested in to a school that we went to historically or an event that we participated in to a place that we traveled, just through a series of how, what, or why questions, we can figure that out, okay? Another thing is that book that I just referenced from Jennifer Deal with regards to commonality, right? There are 10 ways that we're all the same, so maybe reading that book could be interesting. I mentioned Maslow's hierarchy as well, so reminding everybody that as time passes and progresses, we're all in the process of moving up that hierarchy. So as we meet one level, we go to the next and every person's doing that. We just happen to start at slightly different places depending on where we're at in the planet and what's happening. Um, another book, another important piece of research is around Carl Jung and he wrote a book about the four stages of human life. And I'm a big proponent of his material and his content because when we start to think about commonality, if we can recognize where someone else around us is in one of those four stages, we can now begin to adjust our communication to him or her and recognize what they're feeling or thinking. But we have to be able to know what the four stages are in order to know how to say or adjust our language that, to that person. So the middle ground, I believe this to be true, the middle ground is mass customization. And what I mean by that is that we, all become coaches in our own way, and we become really good at offering no judgment of any person around us. We simply become great at asking the right how, what, and why questions to be able to find some level of commonality with a person, regardless of how different from us they are, so that we can get to the point of building the relationship from those two or three common points. If we do that, now we're gonna raise consciousness on earth to a much higher level. I love that. It's like twice that you've said that. That's so amazing. Let's raise it. Let's do it. Raise the roof. Is, it, is that what it is? Raise the roof? I don't know. Yep, Tell you got it. it. <laughs> so tell me, what role does self-awareness play in improving cross-generational communication? So someone having the ability to understand their own mood or their own emotion or their own motivations it's pretty rare, right? But it is pretty darn important. And so Daniel Goleman wrote the first book on emotional intelligence back in uh, the 1990s. Travis Bradbury and Gene Greaves wrote a book called Emotional Intelligence 2.0 uh, in the mid 2000s. And so we're starting to accept in society that emotional intelligence or someone's capacity to be aware of their own emotions is big. 
And so through both of those, through all of those authors and their research, what we're finding is, is that as we climb whatever ladder we're attempting to climb, the thing that ultimately gets us to become the most successful or to accomplish our goals is our level of emotional intelligence. And so it is not an innate thing. It is something that we can learn over time. But as society progresses and we move further into an experienced economy, the thing that's going to separate us from anybody else is not our intellect or what we know, right? Because the world's information is available for free online today. But what we're going to be able to be differentiated by is how well we know ourselves and the impact that we have on those around us. Yeah, that is so huge. Absolutely so huge. Um, and this is a question I really want to get to, and we're almost out of time, so I want to make sure that I give you enough time to answer this question because it's something I see all the time um, as a recruiter, and that's go surrounding age bias. So how can hiring managers reduce age bias in the recruiting efforts and ensure the work environment is cross-generational? Yeah, thank you for asking it because it is important. When, when we think about this, I look at this from a multi-step process of how can we collect information from each person on our team through some sort of feedback loop that helps us to understand what's going on right now, right? Give us in the moment on the spot information. So once we've got what's happening now, now we can do a review of our current policies and procedures or some of the things that we would define as practices. And if we need to make updates to our website, to our job descriptions, to our applications, our interview process, however we, we stack panel interviews, right? There's so many ways in which that can happen. So we want to make sure that we set up this process to be as uh, equal opportunity as possible. So once a person joins the organization, the key is continual training, right? And we have to make sure that the trainings appeal to lots of different communication styles. Setting up internal mentorship and coaching programs really does help to make sure people see each other for commonalities as opposed to differences. And then it really is about can you create an ongoing culture that people genuinely want to connect to and be a part of? So if it's pulse surveys, if it's giving out the right awards and rewards, if it's adjusting compensation, right, having the human resources team track metrics about it and report back to the board on it, there are a number of things that work, but we have to make sure that it's a defined focus and people are held accountable to uphold it. I think that's beautiful, and I think we're moving in the right direction. I know diversity is a huge buzzword right now, and I'm just seeing, like, I don't know if it's just because I, maybe I like something on LinkedIn, so now all I'm seeing is everything about diversity, <laughs> but, but I see a lot of it out there, so I'm really glad to see those pioneers that are really pushing for that, and thank you for all the information you shared with us today on that, because I think it's going to be very helpful to, uh, you know, everyone, not just, you know, job seekers. It's going to be helpful to those companies that are looking to hire in the future, too. And we are going to see that those jobs opening back up. It's been a tough year for sure, but we are starting to see movement in the market. So I just want everybody that's listening, just have hope because we're, we're getting there. So it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. So, man, that was a deep subject. Let's go. Let's get to the play questions. <laughs> <laughs> So we ask our guests our VIP questions at the end of every session. So are you ready? Possibly. Possibly. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> so if you were chosen to be one of the first colonists on Mars, what three things or people would you take with you? The first thing would be my cat, Cleopatra. Oh, we got a cat lover. Yep. And uh, if you read the first chapter of my book, which we'll publish on January 1st, which you'll I did know not why. get my advanced copy of, we got to hook you up. I know. I usually I would have read your book before I had you on. 
that's okay. The uh, we'll get it to you here as soon as we can. This being proofread, but okay. Cleopatra would definitely be the first thing on the list. The second thing that I was thinking about um, was something called an earthing mat, which helps to uh, ground your body to Earth's magnetic energies. And so it takes a lot of the negative energies out of your body and just allows for your body to feel a sense of homeostasis or peace. So that would I be need that. number two. The earthing mat. You need to check it out, Casey. It's I'm good. I'm going to. And then the third thing, uh, and this is something I've been doing since I was age eight, is I would bring my golf clubs. Now, golf may or may not be a thing on Mars, but I'm going to bring them <laughs> along and see what happens. I wonder how that's going to work with the gravity up there. That could be interesting. <laughs> Whole new kind of golf game, right? <laughs> like Top Golf has completely revolutionized the way that traditional golf is played. So maybe there's a version of Top Golf there. I, I believe it. Make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so my next question, this is one of my favorite questions, is what is one thing you do each morning? And shout out to Hel Elrod for this question coming out. But what is one thing you do each morning to set your day up for success? Yeah, it, it, this is something that when I break this, this kind of routine or this habit, I feel it really honestly. So when I wake up, I immediately make sure that Cleopatra has the food and water and stuff that she needs and she's good. So that's first. But number two, and more importantly, is, is that I sit in meditation in a quiet spot in the house for 20 minutes. And depending on how my brain is feeling that day, sometimes I'll just do, I'll just think about something. Sometimes I'll repeat a series of I am statements, or sometimes I'll listen to a guided meditation on the Insights Timer app. Each day is a little bit different depending on how I feel. Uh, coming out of the sleep, but regardless, 20 minutes of meditation. I think that's so amazing. Are you familiar with mala beads? Do you know what those are? Yes. Yep. I'm learning how to make those. I'm going to make <laughs> you a mala. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> it may not be pretty, but I'm going to make it. That's okay. <laughs> I will still so intent I have, between I don't each. I have mala beads on, but I do have beads on. Right oh, I wish I'd brought mine in yep. here so I could show you. My friend made them for me. They're beautiful. So, okay. okay, way off topic. <laughs> so if your life's work was being summarized in a news article, what would the headline be? It would be, be the person you needed when you were younger. Ugh. Boom. Mic drop. So, so good. That... <laughs> it, um... It's a really important phrase that I had heard years and years ago. And uh, my number one value, core value is authenticity. And when I was a youngster, I really didn't have coaches and mentors or you know, strong parental figures around me that I would have uh, really liked. And so I realized, right, is that once we go through that challenge in our younger years, at some point in our late 20s, early 30s, we overcome it. But then the highest and best use of our life in our 30s and 40s is to teach other people how to overcome the exact same challenge we overcame when we were young. And so that phrase, be the person you needed when you were younger, is almost like the perfect summary of this process that I think helps people. Passion from your pain, right? Yep. Totally agree. Love it. How do people find you? Because I know they're going to want to talk to you. So the, my website is uh, michaelssiever.com. There are two S's. My middle name is Scott. So I've caught flack for years for being Mike Siever, but also Michael Scott from The Office. So growing pains, The Office, I've had pull in both ways. Um, but michaelssiever.com, you know, information about uh, free resources and podcast material, 
200 plus blogs on there, a bunch of media mentions. Um, and if you guys are interested, follow me on Instagram. I'm happy to, to share a lot of my life through Instagram and stories of Cleopatra the cat and the cool things she does. So does Michael she have her own Insta- and Does she have her own Instagram? She, she doesn't, but she should. She should. <laughs> I'll introduce her to some other dogs that are on Instagram. Right on. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, this has been so much fun, and I cannot believe that we have come to the end of our time together today, just for today, though. But I just have yep. one more thing to say to you, Michael. You are a VIP. Oh, thank you. And that's a wrap for today. Join us next week here on the We Are VIP podcast. We'd love to know how we can help you be a VIP. To find out more, log on to wearevip.com. <laughs>